Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Alec Purcell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we discuss filmmaking topics and give you our point of view on them, not as experts, but as two filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves. Morning, Timothy. Good morning. How you doing? Very good. Um, a little busy, but good and happy to be here talking to you right now. Um, <laughs> Do you just feel like overwhelmed right now? Like, uh, oh, I got to record this podcast. Less overwhelmed now. I was really freaking out last night, but I, I feel better now and realize that a lot of the things I'm freaking out about are like deadlines that I imposed on myself that I don't necessarily need to follow, although they would be good to follow. And there's really only two that I need to follow. Uh, but I'm you guessing know. the actor's reel and the rage edit. Mm, yeah, I wish. Uh, <laughs> oh, there's two others. The actor's reel is one of them, and then uh, I shot this thing on Friday for um, a, a singer songwriter, and uh, I wanted to get that done before I left town tomorrow. But uh, mm. how long are you going to be gone for? Oh God, from Wednesday night till um, till Sunday sometime. Uh-oh. So, yeah, long time. It's too long. I shouldn't be going. Um, should be staying. But uh, I already paid for everything, and it's my friend's bachelor party. There's only oh, one cool. of them, you, you feel, hopefully. So, uh, yeah. There's times in life when it seems like everything's just happening all at the same time, and you're just like, how am I going to deal with all this? So, like, after this podcast, you're going to go shoot. Yeah. Right? And then you leave tomorrow, and you're back on Sunday, and you have all this other stuff stacked up to do. Yeah, but the craziest thing is I shoot two days. So I shoot today, and then I have to go to my shoot tomorrow with all my stuff, and then go directly from the shoot to the airport, because I'm insane. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah, the things we do. Yeah, I know. So uh, I don't want. I want to hear about this Sweetos project, man. We've uh, everyone's seen it. It's out in the world now. Yeah, it's doing really well. In the last week, it's been up for one week. By the time this podcast comes out, it will will have been up for two weeks. So these stats will be old. But right as of today, it's three point eight million views between oh Facebook God. and YouTube. Wow! So it's like. Beyond my expectations, for sure. I mean, when I got a million, I was like, oh, my God, we got a million. This is amazing. Wow. This is like, you know, like a dream of mine for a long time was to get that many views on anything that I I worked on. So (laughs) uh, it's pretty awesome. And uh, the day this comes out, this episode comes out, the second video will be live. So take a look and watch that one. We're going to pretty much roll out a video every week for the next month. Wow. And so are these um, only going to be seen online? Or are they also being seen other places too? It's all online. Wow, cool. But my the secret plan in my head was that if I could make them good enough and TV quality, then maybe they'd go, you know, let's run these on TV. They definitely look TV quality for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think so. absolutely. Like better than some, a lot of TV commercials, I'd say. <laughs> Man, well, congratulations. Um, Thanks. I'm really yeah. happy. So I have a bunch of questions for you, and yeah. these are just a, a few of them. But uh, but I guess the first thing that I think of when I see this thing is like, okay, so it's a really beautiful finished piece, you know, with a very distinct sort of like you know perspective. Like, what was the script like when you first saw it, and how, how much has it changed between the original thing that you were like, I want to make this, and what we see on the screen? Uh, not a ton has changed. It's it was awesome because the what I saw, the initial idea that I saw was so good and it was so fleshed out that really my job was to protect it 
and just say this is why it's a good idea and this is these are the things that we want to do with it so um the first time that i saw it it was already put together as a creative presentation and the the image of the chocolate rabbit against a solid color background had already been developed and then the scripts that were written um this particular one the script was i'm not just a somebody i'm a somebody <laughs> and then that lived for a while and then um the creative director asked the writer to put together some other options so when we recorded the voice we did a bunch of options and then i also had the actor just kind of say it in his own voice and the take that we ended up using ended up being from a longer script and it was one of the takes where we had him do it in his own voice and he added some additional things into it oh cool yeah, so, so very different this, then in some ways. Yeah, and this script was actually one that we never even presented to the client because it came, it fell out of a bigger script that we'd recorded. Okay, cool. Well, that's that's really fun. Um, yeah, because you because I know with those commercials, like you usually get boards and and it's all like sort of presented to you sometimes, you know. So, uh, yeah, it's cool to hear that like you know there was a little bit of of room where you worked your magic. Um, yeah, a little bit. I, mainly because a lot of times uh, you see something and you want to try to make it better. But this is one of those times where I saw it and I just wanted to do what they had come up with because I thought it was just so strong. The client along the way, though, did want to change it. And so we spent a lot of time just trying to talk the client out of changing things. So um, I would say maybe the biggest thing that changed was it had a, a lot more of a anti-animal cruelty feel to it mm. and there's some there's some language in there about like animal cruelty that we ended up taking out because the client was worried about it oh. and then um, we ended up winning the battle on the the backgrounds because the client wanted was worried that people wouldn't understand that these were candy animals and so they wanted some something in the background that hinted at that fact so at, at one point we were talking about putting some Easter candy in the environment with them. And there's a lot of discussions back and forth trying to talk them away from that because we all like the simplicity of just having this thing on a really solid color background, just nice, clean and simple one camera shot. And it was supposed to be always kind of like a PSA announcement. Mm. And so that's kind of where the idea like that, that in my original treatment, it was all about like PSA announcements. And so solidifying that is like the idea that we went into it then we could use that to keep fighting to keep things the way that they were. Mm, I see. I see. Well, that's cool. My other big question, and this is just, this comes from a place of like being a fan of animated shows and animation in general. And then just knowing a little bit about the world of voice acting. Um, but what was that experience like? Did, did he come in and like, was, is he like a voice actor type person who just has like a million voices he can pull out of his butt? Or did you like, have to work with him <laughs> to find the voice, the specific voice? Or did he just like say, oh, here's one option, here's one option, here's one option? How, how did that work? Well, in commercials, you only get one hour with an actor for something like this. Uh, so it, you don't really have a lot of time to explore, which is one of the things I knew going into that recording session, which is a, I just had an hour and I just wanted to get like the best performance and not concentrate on what the character is going to sound like. Because of that reason, most of the time when you're casting for commercials, you listen to voices on an audition and you're casting somebody based off of that audition. 
So it's less about can the actor do different stuff and can they take direction well and more of like was their initial instinct on the script right? Mm, so okay. um, so this guy, when he did his audition, pretty much had this character voice down. What we did is before... So after we decided he was our voice, then before our recording session, I talked to the creative team and just like redefined who we thought Dave was. Like, what are the characteristics of this candy animal Dave? And then I sent an email to the voice talent and said, hey here's your audition. This is what we liked. This is who the character is um, and give, give you some idea. Like I'd love for you to build a little backstory for yourself about how he lost his ear and come into the studio, just kind of prepared to go because we only have an hour and, I, and we want to try a bunch of different things. For me, it was just kind of prepping the actors so they could come into that studio and just like start with that character voice right away. Mm. There's a little bit of fine tuning, but not, not a ton. It was more about just getting options and different reads. So after you gave him those notes and like the feedback or, or like, we love your audition. Here's the notes on the character. Come up with a backstory, whatever. Yeah. Do you, do you, did you notice a change in the voice from the audition at all? Or was it pretty much just like how it was in the audition? It was pretty much how it was. And in listening to this guy and other thing that he, things that he'd done, this is kind of his voice. Oh, in really? fact, if you go on YouTube and you look at the YouTube comments, all, half of them are about um, this voice actor from other things that he's done. So oh, do you he's know? Done, <laughs> what has he yeah, done? Uh, he, do, he does a lot of English voiceovers for Japanese video games. Oh. So he did, I guess one of his famous ones is um, Persona 4. Oh, and wow. so And there's a lot of people on YouTube commenting like, I didn't know that yosuke became a chocolate bunny or i didn't know that sonic the hedgehog became a chocolate bunny there's tons of comments about that at first i didn't know what that meant and then i started searching and i realized this voice actor does those voices oh he does sonic the hedgehog that's fun yeah (laughs) well i saw a whole thread about like who should we cast as the new sonic the hedgehog and all these people were voting for this guy like we should work with this this guy should be it this guy should be it so it's like there's a whole culture of people that know all these voice actors yeah because uh, they're doing a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Did you hear about that? Oh, no. Yeah. You're behind, man. That was last week. <laughs> so maybe this guy will be the voice. Yeah, maybe that's part of the reason why you got so many hits is because like, the Sonic the Hedgehog news is is there. And it's like, <laughs> this guy has a connection to Sonic the Hedgehog. People are looking him up, finding a commercial. I don't that know. That could be. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt cool. Like, oh, we, we broke in through the otaku culture. <laughs> one, one other question. Um did he ever tell you what his backstory for the bunny was or did he just have that inside? He just had it inside. I told him I don't, I don't necessarily need to know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, But there was, I don't remember if it was him or somebody else there. I was having a little bit of trouble and I just said, did you put together a backstory? And that person said, yes. And I said, just, I want you to think about it for a second. You don't need to tell me what it is, but just kind of recall what that is before you do your next line. And then they did it. And it was it was a was it golden after that? It was good. I mean, it got them in the zone. That's cool. Awesome. Yeah. Did you did you have any fun stories of how this came together, or was um, it, or was the was that what you just said? <laughs> I think the only thing that might be worth pointing out is the way that I recorded the actors because usually there's no prep. 
the actors don't get prepped at all. So those emails that I sent out to the actors, the actors are like, wow, this is awesome. Like uh, these, these notes and ideas are so cool. Like usually we don't get a chance to even talk to anyone until we're in the booth. Uh, so that was one thing that I think I did different. And then the other thing is I, I'm used to directing actors on set and being with them in person, like right next to them. But when you record voices, you're usually in separate rooms and you press a button to talk to them. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to sit in the booth with them while they're recording. And I got that idea a little bit off of um, watching a bunch of like Pixar recordings and it looked like the director was in the room with them. So I was like, oh, maybe it could work. So I sat in the room with the actors while they're recording. Do they feel like they, did it seem like they liked that experience more? Or did they feel like kind of like, what, you want to be in the booth with me? Like, what was the reaction? <laughs> uh, everyone was really open to it. They okay. were excited. Yeah. No one, yeah, no, I, I gave them the option. I said, hey, I'd love to sit in the room with you. I think it would it'd be interesting to try. I don't know what's going to happen. And they're like, yeah, 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 come on in, come on, that'd be fun. And it was great because it, it got rid of that button between us, mm. which I felt was really good because it allowed it to be more of a conversation. Because <laughs> what the button ends up being is almost like a walkie-talkie. Right, like, uh, right. Can you do it uh, one more time like that? And then you let go and then they go, yeah, sure. Okay, no problem. Whereas like if you're just sitting in the room, you can just like have a conversation and like you can respond in real time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had one experience where I was doing something like that, but it was it was ADR lines, you know, so it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, it was a little weird to be like, you know, only being able to talk to them through a button, you <laughs> yeah. know. Um, Especially for people like us who just usually work with actors on set. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just like, um, that was good, but, uh, can you try it? It's like, uh, just better to have a, you know, face to face <laughs> conversation. You already kind of answered this, but, um, did you get to set the look at all? Like, such as the background that Dave is standing on, that kind of stuff. You kind of said that that was already set beforehand. Yeah. That, w that idea was already set beforehand and I really liked it. So I didn't mess with it. And then the art director at the agency, pick the color that he was on mm. like she she picked the colors for all of them but that that general look was just something that was always there so i didn't have to do it my main jobs on this were really finding talent recording talent editing the audio takes so all like the, the pacing and the timing is set and then giving direction to to tip it on the animation as passes came through yeah yeah, that's awesome. So it's kind of a different type of directing job. I tried to place the camera in, in 3D space, and then I totally messed that up because I chose the wrong lens. Oh, I told yeah. them, yeah, it's like, oh, maybe it should be like a 65. And then they put a 65 on it, and it warped. It's way too close. Every, yeah, it made, it made everything feel like really weird, like the perspective on the character change. Oh, can, like, I, can I guess what lens it ended up being? Do you know? I don't know what they ended God up God damn it. All right, Fun. so that's that's me. What's going on with you? Oh God, I don't know. Um, What's the stain in your lane? Yeah, crises and averting them, and then <laughs> having them happen again. It's funny. I, uh, I my friend came over yesterday, and I I was like telling him, oh, I feel so like stressed out, and like all the decisions I'm making is wrong. And he's like, oh, that's funny because that's what you just said on your podcast. I just listened to the beginning. <laughs> I was like, oh. So I have been feeling that way for weeks. Oh, that's terrible. Now, last um, week you had gotten sick and you're feeling the same way that I think you're feeling now. But right. then you got better and you said you got over it. All right. Now you're back in it? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I mean, this staying in your lane thing, I mean, that's sort of more like 
uh, ongoing crisis that I just uh, struggle with on, I wouldn't say a daily basis, but like a pretty regular basis where it's just like, I'm constantly comparing myself to the rest of the world. And I I have a certain idea of what I should be doing, you know, compared to other artists. And it's like, just a stupid thing to be doing, you know, like you should never be comparing yourself to anyone else, but yourself, you know, like you, like you need to deal with your own problems and like, just deal with the things that you're working on and stay focused. And I feel like sometimes I get distracted pretty easily, you know, and that was sort of happening a little bit over the weekend and, and, uh, and yesterday just sort of getting distracted by other, by other things, you know, what do you think you haven't done that you should be doing at this point in your life? Um, in, in, in my life or in the things I'm working on making, like, what do you compare <laughs> when you compare yourself to other filmmakers? What are the things you're like, Oh, they're so much farther along than, me. Oh, I don't know. Like I should have, I, I should have been working in narrative television or narrative f- filmmaking since I was in my twenties, you know? And I guess you could argue that I have been, <laughs> but, yeah, uh, you can't. yeah, you can't but, you know, do that to yourself. You, hindsight's twenty twenty. Of course you can look back. I almost went to AFI at one point mm-hmm. and it's like I, I try never to look back and think oh I should have gone to AFI it would have totally changed my life but it's a decision I made not to do or it, I just wasn't in the right place to do it so. did you you got into AFI no I was just considered I was like I was in that place where like I was thinking what what am I doing like how am I going <laughs> to get to where I, where I need to be like what should I do how, how can I get there because a lot of it is I, th- I think it's it's good to think about where you can place yourself work-wise but sometimes you don't have access to access to that. So I was thinking, oh, if I go back to film school and I go to some, a place like AFI, when I graduate, I'll be friends with people that can we can right. all help each other. Yeah, but you know, deciding to want to go to AFI and then actually getting into AFI <laughs> are, are different things. Like I know right. a lot of people who got rejected from AFI. I thought about that too for a bit because I was just like my friend a couple of years ago, like maybe. Well, more than a couple. Like I think six years ago, my friend applied to all these uh, film schools, and I was like, "Fuck that shit! Like I don't want to go back to school. I'm done. It's all about my experience. Whatever, you know. Good luck, but I don't care." And then maybe a year ago, I was like, "I probably maybe I should just go back to film school. Maybe that's what I need to do with my life." And it's like, yeah. "No, no, I don't. I just need to keep on making movies, you know, and 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 not get get in, you know, not stop, just stop like." overanalyzing everything and just start and do more, you know? And I think that's sort of probably what I feel like I should be doing now is just doing more. But I mean, I'm doing a lot. I just, I get, I feel like I'm overwhelmed. You know, I have like too many responsibilities and too many things going on. And, you know, I, I need to like just get things done and focus in on the things that I really need to accomplish, like editing the rage, you know, like that has been sitting half edited for like a I don't know. Like I, I worked on it last week on the early in the week and I got like probably halfway through the script in editing and then I just stopped and I haven't worked on it since, you know, and I have all these other things I've been doing like paid jobs, shoots, you know, taxes, all these other things. And it's like, I should just be, I don't know. I just want to, I just, all these things I want to do. It's like, I want to have the, the, the rage edited and like hand it off to a sound designer. I want to have brother out and like done. Like I want the poster to be done and out. I want to know where I'm premiering the movie. It's like all these things that like to a great degree, I don't really have a lot of control of. And it just feels like overwhelming and frustrating. And then, you know, like I'm producing this movie and 
like, I don't know, like, I wonder if that's the right choice. Like, should I even be doing that? Like, <laughs> right. Oh, it's just, it's just driving me crazy, you know? And uh, it sounds like you have a lot of doubt about the choices you made and the choices you're about to make. Yeah, basically. I mean, I feel like I feel fine with the choices I've made, like the movies I've made and, and the you know, like spending all that money on the rage and all that stuff. Like I'm I'm okay with that. I mean it's a little you know, it's it's like if I was working on it more actively, I think I would be feeling better about it. But that since it's sort of like not being worked on a lot, I maybe that's part of the reason. And like even like somebody approached me well my producer was like, Hey, I have a, an editor friend who wants to edit it and I was like, No, I'm gonna edit it. And maybe I should have just handed it over to that person, you know, or maybe I should still just do that. Just be like, I think you should still do that. You can always edit it yourself. You have the footage. Yeah, I should you just can even edit a separate pass if this editor, you know, once you have some free time. But yeah, you might as well get the, the ball moving. Yeah, just hand it over. Yeah. yeah, but I don't know. I mean, well, I definitely can relate to this feeling. I, I have this feeling <laughs> a lot. And I would say that. Everyone probably has this feeling because you don't know if things are going to work out or the decisions you've made are going to work out until they do. And so when you're in that middle zone where nothing's really happening and you're unsure if you've made the right decisions and if you should have made different decisions, there's not a real real good way out of it. And when I feel this way, I just kind of wallow in it. That's, yeah. you know, I don't have a great solution to come out of it. Yeah, I just, I guess just realizing that you're going to create a narrative about how you succeeded once you're once you've succeeded and that right. narrative is not going to include this this period of self-doubt right right <laughs> you just be true. like i did this and i did this and then that led to this and then that led to this yeah like it all feel natural once it happens but right now like when you don't know how it's going to shake out and whether or not it's going to pay off it's hard to feel confident about those decisions but oh, the other thing I'd say is all we can do is take advantage of the opportunities in front of us. You can't compare yourself to other filmmakers or to any anyone else in the industry because they their path is different than yours. They were born into in a different place. They were born into a different family. They had different opportunities that were given to them. You just have to take advantage of what you've got. Yeah. So did you have an opportunity to work in TV at one point? Well, um, I mean, not really. I mean, this all kind of goes back to like, you know, have just moving to LA when I was 22, when I yeah, graduated well, college. Don't even worry about that. Like, <laughs> that you don't even know if that would have worked out. Right. It's true. So I it's mean, I know like plenty of people who did move to LA, you know, in their mid twenties or early twenties and, and came back, you know? Um, so yeah, you're there's right. No, yeah. There's no guarantee that moving to LA would have gotten you to where you wanted to be so i wouldn't even think about that i would think about what you can do now to get to where you want to be right yeah i don't know i guess i guess there's just a lot of questions and you know just to be very candid and i don't know if, if the director and other producers of the movie hear this i don't know how happy they're gonna be but uh i'm i'm a little concerned about getting this movie made in the time frame that we have set for ourselves you know and like I kind of just set the the shoot date as like April 14th, the last week. And now I'm realizing that we're a little bit further behind than I thought we were. And the amount of time I have between now and April 14th is not that much. And I really, I don't know if we can pull this off with what we 
the money that we don't need to see. The other thing is we haven't even raised the money yet. Like we only have like a very tiny, small portion of the budget raised. So I, I don't know. Maybe it's this, this whole feeling is this coming from, uh, the thought of like, we're actually not even ready to start doing this. Like we're, we're putting the cart before the horse a little bit, you know? Yeah. And I you think you can't schedule a shoot without money. Yeah. I mean, well, that, pff, that's what I'm trying to do, which is like, I think probably part of the reason why I'm melting down is because I think it would be fine if you, you scheduled the shoot to like September and you, <laughs> knew, and you knew you had to like get the money by the end of April and then you would still have like uh, four months of prep or five months oh, of prep. Oh man, yeah, that's not the but kind of movie this is going to be. This is going to be is, like, um, like, yeah. Because we'll, it's almost March, right? And you said beginning of April you're shooting? April 14th is our, our current okay, so start date. You, you, you have roughly seven weeks to prep a movie and raise the money. I think it's a bad idea to prep a movie without having money to spend. Yeah. Because you're, what you're telling people is I'm promising you money and I'm, I'm putting you, I'm, uh, hopefully you're not booking people yet, but you're at least holding their time in mm. anticipation of it happening. What if your money doesn't come through? Are you right. guys going to be financially responsible for paying anything? Right. Well, no, we'll just we'll have to cancel the whole thing. <laughs> it just sounds, it sounds kind of dumb to me to, to yeah. schedule a shoot so soon when you don't have money. It'd be one thing if you just raised the money like today and then you had seven weeks to prep it, but to be seven weeks away from a shoot and have no money just sounds like a bad idea and just a, a setup for failure. Right. I would, I would urge the, I would, I would set some dates for raising the money and shooting the movie that are realistic. Right. Even if it's just like giving them like two weeks now, like let's delay it to May, delay the shoot to May and you guys have to raise the money by March 10th. Mm hmm. Yeah, that sounds that seems reasonable. I think I would even I would feel so much better about that because then that would give me a whole month to to prep, you know, basically once uh I was done with the other movie, you know. Um but, I would just tell them like this. I would say we can't book people until we have money to spend. So, why don't we delay the shoot a few weeks so you guys can raise the money? So then I can confidently put people in place. Otherwise, there's nothing I can do. I would just tell them there's nothing I can do. I can't secure locations. I can't secure talent, crew, anyone until you guys have money to spend because no one's going to take me seriously unless I can say, I need you for these dates and, and you should turn all your other work away. Yeah, I wonder even if what, it's a lie. Yeah, I wonder what other people would say because that's kind of not the way that um, you know Andrew was talking about how he made his movie. Like they basically were like, you know, we raise they raise like a certain amount, like the whatever twenty five thirty thousand dollars, and they're like, this is the t this is the budget movie we're gonna make, and then they just started producing it, and as they started you know prepping for it and everything, they raised more money, and the thing got bigger and bigger and bigger, you know. Yeah, why don't you call Andrew and ask him? Um, yeah, that's what I need. To, that's another thing. I think it's another problem of of like kind of why I'm frustrated because I had this plan to call all these producers I know and, and ask for some advice. Yeah, and I just I haven't had time to do that. You know, um, yeah. Don't listen to me. I'm just an agency producer. I know nothing. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But anyways, I don't know. I think like. Yeah, the money is a big part of it. Casting is a big part of it. I mean, we only have one actor cast at this point, really. Um, and we have like a bunch of other p potential options, but I, I don't know. I just feel like we, we need to, we need to really get 
these things in or in order before we can start moving forward in a big way. And I think I'm, I'm maybe I'm pushing it forward a little too fast. You know, maybe it's my job to be like, because I basically sat down with them and I was like, you know, what's the latest we can start shooting this movie? And they basically said like June 10th is the latest we could start if we had to. And and then instead of like being like, okay, well then let's schedule for May 15th or something. I was like, well, let me see. Like, you guys want to start mid-April. Let's just schedule it for mid-April. And that was stupid. I should have just been like, there's no way that we're going to shoot in <laughs> mid-April. Like, that's a pipe dream. Like, we should just be realistic, aim for May, you know. And maybe that'll be like my next email or phone call. Maybe I'll call call the director today and just be like, hey, like during one of my lunch breaks. Just be I, think like, you have hey, to. Man. I think you have to set this like really early. Like, if you if you just told them that you're shooting in April, like – switch gears as quickly as possible and don't wait yeah another thing, even if you're just like hey just a heads up i've been thinking about it i think we might need to delay the shoot you don't have to change anything yet but just know i might come back to you in a few days and say that we should shoot in may i'm just i'm thinking out loud right now we need yeah. to raise the money blah 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 i think i'm just gonna tell him <laughs> <laughs> okay good be like check Do in it. with him be like hey like because i think he's having his next investor meeting or this week so I don't know. I guess depending on how that goes, uh, that'll sort of help d- dictate what. But even so, like even with the money, it doesn't really matter. I think we still just need more time because I-, I thought we had like locations secured and stuff, and it looks like we have zero locations. And this this is like thirty <laughs> locations in this movie, yeah. and it's like thirty. Oh my gosh! I mean, it's you're it's gonna, a it's a really big time. movie. It's way bigger than it should be for whatever the budget is it's like it's a it's a pretty ambitious large thing with tons of dialogue it's like half in korean well more than half it's like 80 percent in korean and, and 20 percent in english it's gonna be a big deal so yeah just talking to you about that makes me feel that i'm not feeling that i'm not insane for feeling this way like ah that makes me feel better so is this whole self-doubt stuff like coming from this dilemma right now partly <laughs> It's bigger than that. Okay. I mean, yeah, it's just a part of it, you know. Um, well, stay in your lane, Ulrich. Yeah, stay in my lane, and uh, don't worry about what other people are doing. Just yeah. do what you got to do. You do you. Do me and get it, and get it done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I tell myself. I've I've been telling myself that for a long time. Is like, don't put put on the blinders, right? Like, don't don't worry about how this short film does compared to your short film. Don't worry about, right. you know, who's getting like, you know, discovered as a short filmmaker and who's not, you know, don't, it's not, it's not helpful because yeah. you, it doesn't teach you anything unless you can extract something from what's happening around you and say, Oh, I think the reason that their film is getting picked up and mine's not is because of these reasons. And I want to do those things. And I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to work on that on my next project. If you can't learn and grow from it, then it doesn't seem like it's worth the energy of worrying about. Yeah. Very true. Oh man. And like, yeah. And then on top of all that, I have this movie that that I'm like script supervising that starts in March. So <laughs> that's a whole another thing. Yeah. You got to delay this other shoot. Yeah. But I mean, I guess 30 other, locations. No way. The other thing is like, I, I don't want it to like, like, I don't want the delay to feel like it's coming just because I'm not available. Because, I mean, right. that's part of it, but it's mostly because... It's unrealistic even if you had yeah. seven untapped weeks. We don't have actors, you know? Yeah. You don't have anything. 
Yeah, and finding Korean American actors who speak Korean and English is a lot harder than um, it's. I thought it was going to be hard, but it's even harder than I thought it was going to be. It's like, yeah, really. Well, it's like, yes, there's people out there that speak English and Korean, but are they actors? Right, and that's the and, biggest thing. Right, oh or are they real people, and you want to do it like elephant style, where you just cast real people? But are they, or can you find people that even want to do it? Yeah, that's that's sort of what the director wants to do. He wants to cast real people, and I'm sort of pushing him away from that and being like, we need real actors. Like this isn't this isn't a light script. Like this is really there's a lot of heavy emotion stuff going on here. Like you know, right. you can't just throw random people into this thing and think <laughs> it's going to work out well. Like it's right. And when people do cast non actors. They search the world. Like they don't just yeah. go like into the San Francisco casting pool and be like, we'll find somebody. They go to like every city, every major city in the United States, yeah. small towns. They scout like when they did Elephant, I'm pretty sure that was non actors. They just like went to a bunch of schools. It takes a long time. That's like a six month casting process just to find those those kind of actors that can pull it off. Yeah, you always so. hear about that with like the big mm-hmm. movies. Like it, it took them, you know, really a long time to find like yeah, all these people. Like I don't know. I can't think of a good example right now. Like I have this vision of of what I want to be as a filmmaker and an artist, you know, and uh I also have a vision of like what I want to be as a as like a man and a husband and like a provider, and I feel like right now those are combating themselves in a really big way, you know, and this sort of goes back to our conversation um, a few weeks ago about like, you know, what sacrifices do you have to make to be a filmmaker? And I feel like I've been analyzing just like yesterday and the day before, like, like, is this really what I want to be doing? Like, would I be happier if I was just like, you know, had some stupid job, you know, like I was watching Better Call Saul last night. And, uh, you know, there's this thing where, this is a little bit of a spoiler, but I mean, it's not really because it's in the very first episode of the very first season, but he's like working at, at a Cinnabon, you know, and it's like sort of a future flash forward, you know, like to after Breaking Bad. And I was just watching that. I was like, yeah, would that, I was like, turn to Beth. I was like, is that, would that be so bad if I just worked a stupid job like that? And, you know, I just got paid a, a dumb wage and just went to a job, not eight hours a day. Like, would that be so terrible? And she's like, you would hate it. And I was like, yeah, but. I wouldn't be so stressed out about all this stuff. Like, you know, it'd be a lot simpler, you know, like I, I saw some Caltrans guys just like smoking a cigarette outside, you know, outside a gas station, like outside their Caltrans cars. And I was like, man, well that, that would, you know, if I just worked at Caltrans, well, how about, well, yeah, yeah how bad would that relaxing. be? Yeah. Just smoke cigarettes and bullshit and complain about my life. Hey, that's not bad. I don't know. I think realistically I would be miserable doing that. And, uh, you know? Well, I did that. I, I, I had that feeling graduating film school. And I was like, ah, I'm not going to pursue this thing. I'm just going to go work a nine to five job. It'll be a simple life. I'll just get paid enough to live. I'm going to write on the side. At that time, I just wanted to, to write the great American novel. <laughs> so um, I found a job at a sailboat company down next to the, the ballpark. And I worked there for about two years. I think it, maybe I worked there for almost three years, but around two years in, I started to get really anxious mm. and felt really isolated because none of the people I was around really got me because they weren't creative people. Yeah. Like that They were like working men type. And I'm like, ah, that's not me. 
I just felt like out of place. Yeah. And so that's why I started find, looking for a job in a creative place and, and ended up at the agency, um, which feels so much better, obviously, because I've been there for so long. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think, I think you would probably find the same thing is that you just would be, you just wouldn't be completely satisfied. Yeah, I think in the end, uh, I need to stop whining and stop being a big baby and just <laughs> buckle down, take care of the things that I need to take care of, take care of my responsibilities, uh, not let it overwhelm me and just, uh, you know, just get it done. And like, and, well, dude, and like, it's going to overwhelm you. That's just the nature of what we do. Right. It's going to be overwhelming. But for all like the down moments that we have, like there's extreme up moments and yeah. that's the trade-off. It's like most people don't have that swing. Most people that work at like Caltrans, Caltrain, yeah. you know, they, their life is just kind of like just an even line of emotion. But yeah. we have like these big swings. And just think about how euphoric sometimes you feel about stuff. Oh, you yeah. Can't, you can't have that without the downward spiral. Right. Yeah. I think right now I have this big like sensation to just run from everything and <laughs> right. Fight or flight. Yeah. Flight. Just like run from, you know, these, these movies I have to work on and, and like my responsibilities to my short films and all I this would stuff. say that's a good thing. Yeah. To have the, the feeling to yes, run. Yes. <laughs> okay. Because anytime I'm faced with a, an obstacle that just seems like impossible and I want to run from it, but then I end up doing it because usually it's my job. And then I end up on the other side and it's like, oh my God, I can do anything. Yeah. So I, I think, think it's good that yeah. you feel that way. I think you'll end up on the other end, a stronger person. Yeah, I think you're right. And I just realized that um, I've been recording on the built-in microphone. Oh, oh, Rick. <laughs> All right. Well, Ulrich was recording with the wrong mic, so we are back with the fresh new sound. Fresh new sound. So I probably don't sound like I'm in a tin can anymore, um, so this should be better. Uh, sorry, Cameron. Do what you can with that first bit of audio <laughs> and uh, restore it to greatness. I know you're a, you're a young guy. You're a smart whiz guy. Uh, I'm sure you can put some filters or whiz bang on there to make me sound less bad. Uh but we have no time, so you have to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Um, well, let's let's start talking about our topic of the week, which is actually a listener short film that was sent to us over Twitter. They wanted to know what we thought, and boy, yeah. are they in for it. <laughs> They're gonna get it big time. <laughs> here comes the hammer. Um, so I, I want to see if I can pronounce this guy's name: Alex Grybauskas. Do you think? What do you Grabauskas. think? Bauskis. Grabauskis. Grabauskis. That's what I'm guessing. At Alex G-R-Y-G-R-Y. Yeah, you're probably more right than I am because I'm a bit terrible at these things. <laughs> Grabauskis. So he, he wrote us uh, and said, Hey, big fan of the podcast. Had to send you my new short. Love to hear your thoughts if you get five minutes. We will include this Vimeo link in our show notes. So go over to makingmoviesishard.com and check it out. This is a short called Audrey. And it's a short film based off of Chuck Palahniuk's short story called Negative Reinforcement. And Chuck Palahniuk is the guy who wrote Fight Club. And that's all I know off the top of my head. 
Yeah, I know, he, I know he's like a really famous writer, and people is like kind of like voice of a generation type guy. Yeah, that other movie uh, that I think it's Sam Rockwell. Um, mm-hmm. What's it called? I forget. I know. I like, saw that one flash in my head as I said Fight Club, and then I totally forgot. Yeah, it's like the one where he like keeps on like imagining like every woman he sees naked, and yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, <laughs> so that's like very, very much feels in line with with what we're seeing here in this short. Um, yeah. so what was your initial reaction? Like, what did you think of this thing? Um, my initial reaction's always negative. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're, I know. You're so much better <laughs> at like being positive about stuff when you first see it. So maybe you should start because <laughs> okay. I'll just be like, ah, oh, well, this could have been better. This could have been better. Well, I was like immediately impressed with the, the level of production. And, uh, I knew, I know this was shot in New York just because of, uh, the, the, the bus system. Um, and I think there was a thank you to New York. Am I right there? I think that's right. I didn't see that. No, but, uh, but I know shooting, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a big idiot and this wasn't shot in New York, but I'm pretty sure it was. But, uh, I know shooting in New York is really difficult. Like you can't do any guerrilla style filming in New York at all. Like, they will like if you I've heard this from other filmmakers like you like take a camera out on the street in New York there's a cop there with two seconds like where's your permit you know like that kind of thing (laughs) yeah so the fact that they shot in New York exteriors and then they shot on this this bus I was like already impressed with the production side of things like wow and this it looked pretty it looked good I was gonna say pretty good that's not fair it looked nice it looked good like I think he achieved what he was going for you know look wise Mm -hmm. um you know, like, I mean, now here's where where I'm going to sound more like you. Well, it's let's just... before we go into the negative <laughs> stuff, let's just stay on the positive. Okay, because <laughs> there are stuff, there's things that I really liked about it. I thought, yeah, me too. I really, I liked his casting. I I thought the boy was a really good, good actor, and I liked his look a lot. Oh yeah. Um, I didn't like Audrey so much. Oh really? I'm yeah. I'm like the other way. I like I funny. liked Audrey, and I thought that they could have gotten a more interesting uh, lead character. I thought he was and a little boring. I liked the choice of the VO for the narrator. I thought he did a good job too. Oh yeah. And I really liked the way it wrapped up. Like I didn't I didn't see the end coming. I was kind of like wondering where it was going. Um, but that last line for a minute, I thought I knew you was is a great ending line, and it ended perfectly. Yeah, I I I think I really like the story overall, and and the whole like the way it was told, you know, because mm-hmm. I think we've all been there, like sitting on the bus, like thinking about the people around <laughs> us, right. you know, and yeah, making up stories in your head about who they are, especially when you're younger, you know, like, like seeing the girl who you just think is, or, or woman who's just unbelievably gorgeous and knock out and just like fantasizing about everything about her, you know, like I've definitely gone through that before. I never actually talked to them, you know, but I mean, I think that's a great, it was such a great twist at the end, like to have that sort of reveal of like completely breaking the mystery, you know? Yeah. And I agree um, with you. I think the, the point of the story that I don't like is the way it was set up because I was I starting in that black room of his imagination and seeing Audrey and you're hearing this voiceover. I wasn't totally clear what the movie was about for about a minute. Mm. I I think it would have been stronger to start the movie off seeing her walk on the bus. Mm. And I wasn't, I didn't totally love having her sit behind him. I kind of mm. wish that she had sat in front of him so he could be looking at her the whole time and making up the story. Mm. And you could cut in between 
the real world and the world of his imagination more easily. It's a little awkward that she's sitting behind him in the bus and maybe it works for the short story, but I, it didn't work for me as if for film. Yeah, actually, I really agree with that. Like, I think it would have been way stronger if you'd, you'd started from a place of reality, you know, like you're with the guy either getting on the bus or you're sitting on the bus as you watch Audrey come on the bus. And then that's when the sort of narrative starts, you know, I think that would have been a lot stronger. Yeah, because um, I mean, if you think about the opening shots of just her like looking super gorgeous and overly sexualized. If you did that while she's walking on the bus, you could shoot her in slow motion, having a seat, crossing her legs. There could be like this over-sexualization of her as she gets on the bus. And then you can cut to his imagination where it gets like even ramped up further. I think that would have would have got me into the story a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing I was going to say is I thought that the production value of like the, the black space in the room was, was really nice and it looked really crisp and clean which i thought was cool mm-hmm. um obviously if they had more money and more time it would have been nicer to have those fantasies take place in real world environments but i mean obviously that would have skyrocketed his budget to a place where it would <laughs> wouldn't have been possible to do it you know um unless yeah. he was extremely ambitious and uh you know was able to really pull pull something together but i mean yeah to me i mean it just looked like an independent filmmaker using the tools that he had like that black room reminds me of film school because every yeah. film school has like that room <laughs> right. and i've seen some like really good uses for that but uh, I thought he did a really good job with like with the resources he had. He obviously didn't have money to like um, light the bus and light the outside spaces. So he, instead, he used the black room to get, to get the most visual bang for his buck. And I think that not spending as much time in the bus and spending more time in the black room makes the whole pe- elevates the whole piece because I think the bus stuff is the the least visually interesting. And I don't know if he stole those shots, but I'm guessing there's probably some element of stealing that was happening on that bus, which is why it doesn't look as as good. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if he stole or if that was uh, part of the permitting, because I think if it is in New York, I don't think it'd be really hard to steal those shots um, in the way that he he did, because they look better than than just plain stolen, you know, like just like, you know, sneaking a camera you know from your <laughs> right. the side or whatever um but yeah i don't know i'd be curious to know what would that experience was like but i i kind of like the bus stuff i thought it looked really like naturalistic and simple and i think a lot of times it's kind of what you want it to look like you know you don't want it to be overly dramatized on a bus necessarily you know um yeah. good point but yeah i don't know i mean I, I i overall i thought it was pretty cool i mean well what didn't you like about it I mean, I didn't like the voiceover actor that they chose. I I didn't find that voice particularly. Well, you don't like voiceover, so that's it's unfair for you to judge it. That's true. I'm a fan of voiceover, and I thought it was a, <laughs> he was a good narrator. I can judge written. it. I, I just because no, I don't can't. like it no, doesn't can't. mean. <laughs> I I was like I I don't mind that like my thought process was like I actually don't, I don't mind that this is like going to be a voiceover movie because it makes sense for it to be because it's all internal. Uh, I don't like I didn't like the way the voice was. I guess I just I wanted it to be a different type of voice, but I think it's because I wanted a different type of actor to be playing the lead. So I think it all kind of comes from that that but the voice of the narrator is the voice of the writer because he's saying you the way he he reads the way he's writing it he's saying you so we're we're the main character in it 
that boy that boy represents us. You don't think it was the voice of himself talking to himself, like no, the inner critic no. being like, I "You, thought, you, this, you, that. You need to do this. Just come on, man. You." Do. That's what I thought it was, like the inner, inner, your inner voice talking to yourself. I guess you could read it that way. I liked it being kind of like this disembodied narrator that was mm. that was writing this thing, and and you almost being like that boy is just representing everyone like all all men on the bus looking at mm. this girl it's not it's not him his specific oh yeah that specific character it's like, kind of like all men mm. i yeah uh, he's just I, a stand-in for us which i'm yeah. sure in the short story it's much more a feeling of that because you don't have the visuals on top of it right yeah i mean still i don't know I don't know what I would want out of the narrator. I don't know. Maybe a deeper voice and more, I don't know, stronger, I guess. I don't know. I liked it. I like because it sounded, it sounded human. Yeah. It it didn't sound like an announcer. It sounded like just a a regular guy talking. I don't want to be an announcer. I mean, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I want. You want the voice of God? James Earl Jones. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My biggest beef with this. (laughs) <laughs> was that pairing Chuck Palahniuk with these sorts of visuals has already been done. Mm. And David Fincher did it so well that it's hard to out-Fincher David Fincher. So right. for me, it's like the, immediately my mind goes to Fight Club. I feel like it's so much like Fight Club. Fight Club has a voiceover. Fight Club is based off of a book by Chuck Palahniuk. Um, a lot of these visuals remind me of stuff that I've seen in Fight Club. So to me, I didn't see a lot of Alex in here. I didn't mm-hmm. see Alex's voice. It was a, like a nice piece of practice, but I didn't feel like it has a distinct enough of a point of view to break through for Alex. Yeah, I think I think that's really accurate. Like it, it, it felt like it was a really great representation of Chuck Palahniuk, but I don't think it was. Yeah, like I don't think I saw anything different in there. From that that distinct that distinguishes it from the other Chuck Palahniuk, um, you know, adaptations. But I wonder, like, like well, if you were to do this movie, like, let's say, like, you were given this this Chuck Palahniuk short story, and you were tasked to make a short film of it, like, what would you have done? Um, I don't know. That's hard to say. I might have ended up in the same place. I mean, there's probably something about his writing that because it is just kind of like these flashes of images that it might be the only way to do it, which is the reason why David Fincher did it the way he did. But Mm. David Fincher got there first. So now he owns it. Like that's that's a David Fincher thing at this point. Like Fight Club, when it came out, it was like mind blowing. Like that movie was when I saw that, it made me want to just like give up filmmaking because it was so good. <laughs> Did you feel I, that way when you saw it? <laughs> I just thought it was really cool. I thought it was great. I think at that time, I, I might maybe I was even thinking I was actually going to be a filmmaker. Uh, maybe I was just starting to like get into it or making movies, you know. Or maybe I, I don't think I had actually made a movie when I first saw that. But uh, but yeah, I think I just was like really impressed with it, and like you know, especially with the scene where you know the ikea furniture is popping up right, through his yeah, apartment or so whatever memorable mm-hmm. yeah it's like such a distinct style and look and that whole movie had this really strong visual feel to it that you know a lot of movies like don't have that strong of a of a point of view i should say right yeah, you know it was so stylish but in a way that really supported like what what they were saying with that film yeah 
I don't know. If, if I was to do this movie, how would I do it? I, I would have probably tried to think of a way to do it with less voiceover. Although, I don't know if you can do that with this story. <laughs> I mean, I think you I think can. Be, you can, you can always hard. do it, right? You know? I think the voiceover, because the writing is so strong, I think the voiceover it makes it better. I think if you did this story, you know, the story itself is not that compelling. Like, you see a woman on the bus, you think you know her, uh, you, or you make up a story about who she is, and then she ends up not being that person. That's that's a pretty cool thought, but it's not enough to carry like a five-minute narrative. I think the reason the five minutes works is because the narration is so strong. Yeah. Although I would say it's a little long. I would I would cut out a minute from it. But I think it's like you what you you said was right. Like, you know, what does that say about you as a filmmaker? It says that you can you can put together a a visually, you know, well, you could produce like a a, a nice looking competent movie with really great writing, but it doesn't really say a lot about your own specific point of view or your own specific uh, style, you know, like it's you true. said, and maybe that's maybe that's the reason you don't like voiceover is because voiceover is all about the writing, and uh, if you do voiceover right, then it's the writer that really should take the credit, not the director. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. I like, I, I'm not like, well, I don't like voiceover. It's true, I don't like it. Like, I just think it's lazy writing a lot of the time. You know, like I think. I, I'm way more into the show, not tell sort of, um, you know, way of looking at things. I mean, I know voiceover has a good place in, in movies and definitely there's really, really amazing voiceover out there and I don't always hate it, but I feel like so many movies and so many filmmakers and so many writers just like rely on the crutch of voiceover and we pay for it as the audience. Like, you know, you watch movies and there's just voiceover everywhere where there doesn't need to be. And I think partially it comes from writers being lazy, lazy, but I think it also comes from people being nervous that the audience is not going to understand what's going on. So they feel like a voiceover needs to exist in order to explain the story, which if you're a good filmmaker, you don't need that, you know, like you just, you can do it through the visuals, you know, and that's the challenge of good filmmaking, you know? So, and that's kind of the challenge I've taken on with the rage and it's proving to be very challenging in order to like really make a compelling story with just visuals, you know. But uh, well, I don't I'm want to get into it. an argument about voiceover because I feel like we could talk about that for a long time. Right. So right. let's just let's tell Alex. Like, I'll say, Alex, great job. I think this is a really good film. I I want to see what you can do without Chuck Palahniuk's writing. Like right. either go write something yourself or go find some something original that hasn't been out in the world that you can do. And, and what I want to see your point of view. I, I'm not seeing it in here, maybe after a second film or if I go, I'm sure you have other films. I know this is not your first, um, but yeah, that, I just, I'm, I want to know more about who you are as a filmmaker and I'm not seeing it in here. Yeah. But I think it's a really great film. Good job. Like there's nothing to be ashamed of. Like, everything is spot on and done really well. I, I will say that the thing, the way where you do see Alex a little bit is in the ending and in, in the way that Audrey is represented in the real world. Cause mm -hmm. I don't think that's that a good point is like actually written in the, in the piece. So I think the, his, his, the, the way that he visualized her in those fantasy scenes and then the way that he, you know, shows her in the end and the reality and the way that she, her performance, I think that it is a credit to Alex, you know? So I feel like you can say that you, 
you can see some Alex in here, you know, I mean, I think you're right though. Like overall it is a Paul Nick piece and that's sort of where he's drawing his inspiration from and all that. But, but still, I think we do have to give him credit for that. Cause it was a really strong reveal at the end. And that was a, it got me to laugh, you know, and got me to smile for sure. When, you know, she has those buck teeth and she just looks so disgusting. And I mean, that was really great, great use of prosthetics and, and just a makeup in general with her. Cause like she, she has various different looks throughout the whole movie yeah, which is like does. pretty pretty complicated when you think about it because it's like she has a really glamour over sexualized look she has the standard look she has the look where she's looking sexy on the bus and then she has like the final ugly you know look you know so i don't know um maybe i added in an extra look in there that doesn't exist <laughs> but uh but the point is he he juggled a lot and i think um he put together a really cool professional high quality looking movie and i think that alone you know there's a lot of credit you know that needs to go for that yeah it's well directed it's got a good pace i can tell a lot of care went into it i mean this wasn't a quick project this was several days of shooting at least two days maybe three a lot of elements like that's not easy to do a lot of sound effects you know yeah yeah. Uh, my, my one question to Alex and he can, you know, either email us or, uh, put it, you know, in the, sh- in the comments or wherever. But, uh, I want to know what inspired him to make this movie. Like, why did he decide that this was a movie he should spend six months on and gosh knows how much money to make this thing come together? Like, why, why was this story so important to you like that's sort of what i want to know i also want to know what his goal with this film was like was it just a practice piece just like to see what would happen or was he hoping he'd make it into festivals or hoping it would kickstart his career i'm i'm always interested to hear the reasons beyond like the the artistic reasons but what he was hoping would happen with it or is this one short film in a series of short films that you're going to make, you know, across the next few years just because you want to make movies and grow as a filmmaker? Like, or is, is that where it's coming from, you know? Yeah. yeah. So hit us up, makingmoviesishard.com or tweet at us. Yeah, but, you know, definitely congratulations. Like, for all our criticisms, um, you know, it, it's pretty amazing feat to put a movie together you know, especially one that, that doesn't have, uh, any really, uh, you know, there's not, there's nothing where you're going like, oh, that, that shot didn't come out or, oh, like that looks fake, you know, like, yeah, it seemed strong, like your vision you can, was clear, you know? Yeah. I mean, all we're doing is it's the, the whiplash thing. We're just throwing symbols at your head. We <laughs> right. just want you to be better. Let's, let's do, let's uh, share some stuff. You got anything to share this week? <laughs> Yeah, um, I do. So this project that I think I mentioned a couple times on um, the podcast over the last six months, uh, it was called Necessary Evil when I directed the teaser, but now uh, it's called The Gray Area and it's on Indiegogo. Uh, so check it out. Um, the video that you see is not the full scene that we shot. Um, they they decided to kind of do a more montage sort of thing for the Indiegogo with like part of the scene but then like talking about the project and interviews with the with the the cat the cast and the and the and the crew and stuff and kind of going back and forth so check it out you know uh spread it around um i'm actually not exactly sure where the project's going to go from here i think they're going to maybe maybe i think it's going to be a, a back to web series but uh but whatever happens with it you know check it out and you know, give it some love. What are what are they asking for on Indiegogo? I think ten thousand. For what though? 
Uh, I think it's for the first episode of a web series. I think that's what it is. I didn't really dive super deep into it, but I think that's where it is now. It's it's changed a lot. Like at one point it was going to be a feature. Well, originally it was going to be a web series. Then it was going to be a feature. I think now it's going back to being a web series, I think. And you're no longer involved with it. No, yeah. I mean, um, no, not not at this point. Uh, they, they decided to like, you know, go in a different direction. I, you know, give them their, my full blessing and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I think they're going to have something really cool. They have like a really good producer on board and great cast. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what they, what they pull together. Cool. Well, it's another Ulrich Purcell piece. We've been waiting for it. I feel like I've seen more stuff of yours than most people have. Right. Right now out in the world, there's not a whole lot, but there's a bunch of pieces like that are sitting in your drawer waiting to come out. Right. Yeah. You've seen everything almost, you know, <laughs> yeah. you get to see all the little pieces. Um, yeah, but no, that, you know, hopefully some stuff will be coming out soon. I mean, I, I'm going to release brother in the next month or two. It's, it's going to happen one way or another. It's going to happen. So I just, I wish it was done now. Oh my gosh. Uh, anyways, what about you? You have anything to share? Yeah, uh, the podcast episode of the Q&A with Jeff Goldsmith. That's with one of the writers of Inside Out. I oh, cool. loved it. It was so good. And I don't know if it's going to resonate with other people, but just the the big thing to me was you can hear that she comes into the process like two years after the film started. So there's all these pieces kind of jumbled together and they're a little lost and they don't know exactly what they're they're headed towards. I th- it was inspiring for me to hear that like a movie that I admire so much and I think is such a well-told story had moments where they had no idea what they were doing. Mm. Like they that whole movie started out as a different movie and they it really only started out as just like a kernel of an idea like what happens in a girl's mind at 11 years old. But they didn't have the whole sadness aspect that sadness changes the memories. They didn't have a lot of stuff figured out 2 years into it. And I guess yeah. the doctor had kind of like a mini breakdown thinking he was going to totally fail before they figured out some of it. So yeah, I, I really liked it. There's just so many things in that episode that are just like, that is so cool. That is so cool. Oh my God, that's so cool. Like just it's these little nuggets of information that just made me so happy and, and inspired. So nice. that's what I recommend. People go listen to that. Awesome. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to say much, but I, I just, I, I remember reading something about like originally, um, like up till like pretty late in the game, like rage was going to be the other companion to happiness or something or anger. Anger. I think anger went on the journey with her through the yeah. originally. Yeah. And then they switched to sadness and it was like when they did that, it all came together and it's pretty fascinating to see the way that they, they work things over there. It's a, it's a lesson to all of us that if we had more time, more money, and more uh, patience, that we could also do that. But, well, uh, it's also <laughs> the thing that's so cool about their process is that they're constantly watching versions of their movie. Like right. They come up with an idea, they sketch it out, and they put it up on the screen, and they watch it. And it makes me wonder if there's a way to do that with live-action filmmaking. I mean, and, I think yeah. if you or if you're Pixar, you can you can just pre-visit all, you know. Right, but, Pixar, uh, of course, it's all animation, so you can draw stuff. But is there a way to do it with live action, where you can kind of do a similar thing and you can workshop an idea and see it represented? Like it's it's hard to make that jump from the page to the screen. Well, and they the do. The advantage do. they have is that they can see it come come together before it ever gets fully animated. 
Well, a lot of people play, play movies do previs, you know, which is basically the same thing. They do like animated, you know, versions of their actors or whatever, you know, or like uh, it's like moving storyboards, you know. So yeah, I mean, I don't that's know. Usually a previs for a, a visual effects shot, but to do like an entire movie, like to put your whole movie. Yeah, out there, yeah. Like I don't I, know. If, I think some I people take do Spirit that. Machine and like put do an hour and a half previs yeah. of, of my spirit machine script and just see what works and what doesn't like i think it would be so helpful no uh, yeah but i mean you need you need the big resource you know to to do that you know which i think yeah i mean doing previs as an independent filmmaker i think is almost impossible <laughs> i'm gonna crack it yeah please do um all right you want to take us out yeah let's wrap it up all right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Help other people find us by leaving a review on iTunes. We've been saying that you can leave a review on Stitcher since we started the show, but I looked last week and I realized you can't. I think the <laughs> only place you can leave a review is on iTunes. So if you like the show, you can also send us an email at podcast at makingmoviesishard.com or tweet at us. Um, I'm at Timothy Plain and Ulrich is at Ulrich B. Um, but yeah, if you want to just subscribe to our show notes, go to our website, makingmoviesishard.com, and there's a, a box in the left-hand side where you can type in your email, and you'll get an email from us every Monday that has the show notes and a link to the episode, so you can just keep up to date with what's going on with us and all the things that we talk about on the show. It seems like we're sharing more and more stuff on the show that you have to kind of watch beforehand, so... Yeah, and uh, last thing is thanks to Cameron Caves, who edited this week's episode. Yeah, thank you, Cameron. Um, really appreciate it, man. And uh, thank you, thanks everybody for listening. And thanks, Timothy, yeah. thanks for Ulrich. the great episode. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk to you guys next week. All right, see ya. <laughs>